My name is Jared Williams, and this is the Startup Blueprint, the podcast designed for entrepreneurs, startups, and anyone who has ever wanted to turn a good idea into a great business. My guest today is the founder of a media brand that owns a host of iconic publications, such as Foodism, Escapism, Hedge, and the damn right awesome Square Mile. The business has around 65 employees, a turnover of over 10 million and offices in three continents. The founder also gets to rub shoulders with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. But as we'll see in today's show, it hasn't always been good times, bright lights and swanky parties. So we started We started in a, in a shed in Shepherd's Bush Market. I've never been back to see if that shed is still there, but it's literally like a wooden shed in the middle of, I don't know if you've ever been to Shepherd's Bush Market, but it's, it's such a, it's like an eclectic place. It's, um, we were in between a couple of halal meat shops. That was Tim Slee, the founder of Square Up Media, and you're listening to the Startup Blueprint. This interview started with Tim talking about his upbringing in Cornwall and how he wasted, and I'm quoting here, two fucking years at Catering College after his mum lavish praised on a fruit tart Tim had prepared for the family. We pick up Tim's story a few years later, by which time his culinary ambitions had well and truly been put to bed. So, 19, moved to London, you know you can sell. Um, what was your first step? I looked, so I, I had a job for about six months as a, a, a t- in media sales, and I didn't even know, here's the thing, right, I didn't know what media meant, and I saw a job advertising the back of the Evening Standard or the Metro, and it was one of those small ads saying, do you want to earn some money, are you good at sales? And I thought, I am good at sales. Uh, so... I'll take that job, media sales. I thought, all right, I'm going to go and sell some of those medias, whatever they are. And um, I went to an office in London Bridge and it was selling classified advertising in the back of magazines that, you know, it was a contract sales house, basically. So they would buy pages off magazines who didn't have classified sections and they would split it up and sell it for more effectively. So you'd buy for thousand pounds a page you'd sell it for four thousand pounds a page and we i was one of the sales guys and i did it for six months and i thought this is easy we should do it for ourselves so i convinced the guy because i was probably i don't know if scared is the right word but it was way easier to go with somebody else so i said to one of the guys hey we should do this we should set up on on our own and um he said yeah looking back in hindsight he'd have said yes to anything Right. like a nutter and, he, and, he, and, he, and what did he bring to the bit other than someone you could work with what he, he brought um, he I'm, I'm still occasionally in touch with him so uh, and he's the right character but he brought the understanding within myself that you have to be able to work with other people because he was quite testing Interesting. Um, yeah, by his own admittance, like he was a nightmare. Like he wasn't allowed a bank card because as soon as we, he couldn't understand if there was a thousand pounds in the bank, why he, why we couldn't just spend that, and we might have had two thousand pounds bill to pay, but that made no difference. There's a thousand pounds of our money in there. Let's go and get drunk tonight on that. And if he had a bank card, it would all go that night. So he he said by his own account, I can't have a card. It was just common knowledge. If he had access to the money, it would go. Wow. So yeah, it was. And I was 19, he would have probably been, he was a couple of years older, 21. And 
Yeah, we had that business for like four or five years. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I ended up, I bought him out for £10,000 in that business. Yeah, we were turning... What, what, what year was that that you bought him out? Mm, must have been around... My memory's rubbish, but must have been around like 2004. Right. Five, maybe, something like that. What was, yeah. this, what was the business called? It's called Big Frog. Big Frog. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we took on contracts. We were selling all sorts of stuff. It was funny. Um, so we started We started in a, in a shed in Shepherd's Bush Market. I've never been back to see if that shed is still there, but it's literally like a wooden shed in the middle of... I don't know if you've ever been to Shepherd's Bush Market, but it's, it's such a... It's like an eclectic place. It's um, We were in between a couple of halal meat shops and right. like a load of saris and... Um, it was it it was just you were instantly it felt to me like um Kosan Road on Bangkok in Bangkok. Right. It felt, it felt like that. And somebody had Meeks got only fools and horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um someone had got a student magazine in this kind of shed, long shed, and they'd said, well, we'll give you some free space if you help us sell advertising because we know you're trying to set up your own business. So we worked in that place. They gave us and it was a cupboard. I remember having to dismantle our uh, we dismantled a desk. We had to take the legs off a desk to get it into this cupboard to then set it up again. And it was, I don't know, it was a broom cupboard or something. And we sat in there, me and this guy, and this was kind of pre-internet, which is just mental to even think about that now. So it's, it, we had a computer, which wasn't on the internet, and we had one phone and we had, so we'd sit side by side at this desk and me one side, business partner the other, one phone and after we spoke to somebody who we were trying to sell advertising to I might then have to write them a letter so I'd write a letter on the computer whilst he would use the phone to make another call wow it, yeah it was it was wow so how long how long was the big frog in the cupboard we were only in the cupboard for about three months because as soon as we got maybe a thousand pounds two thousand pounds that was enough for us to get our own office somewhere we moved to an absolute shithole in Bow, East London. It was like an old um, council uh, town hall building and it was just in disrepair, but they were letting people rent rooms for 300 quid. I still remember how much it cost us um, for a month, 300 pounds. And yeah, it was, it was the most mental place. I remember looking out, it was kind of on an L shape and it's these, you know, those big sort of art deco-y kind of buildings now, but they're, you know, they're massive old school windows, kind of like a school building. Probably like similar to, I've never been to Liscard School that I can remember. Myself. Yeah, I know the ones you mean. Yeah, but it was on an L shape. And I remember this is like testament to the sort of place that this was. You meet all sorts of weird characters roaming these corridors mm. in there. Filthy place. And, um, but some of the best times we had. Uh, but you could, you could look down on an angle and for a small period of time, it must have been about three months, somebody set up a porn studio in one of these rooms down there and we could see directly into it it was just you imagine wow. that for a couple of young guys <laughs> it was just uh, yeah trying to get work done some days was like, right yeah. so that definitely got you out of bed every morning and flying into work crossing well, your fingers just, yeah it was it was so mad it just felt like it was like the wild west like you know we were young lads we weren't earning any money as well i think our first year of business we turned over we we turned over 50 grand so, and we probably had an employee at that stage, and we our costs would have probably been 
35 grand out of that. And we didn't have, none of us had any, neither of us had any savings. So it gives you a sort of idea. We were, yeah, yeah I, I remember getting excited when I, when I could take, you know, definitely for sure I'd get a hundred pounds a week. Wow. Um, but my rent was something like 150 quid then. So and I was sharing it with my girlfriend at the time. So you were living off nothing. And all my mates were at uni. So we were in shared houses. Like once we had nine people in a, in, in a house, you convert the kitchens and into rooms and everything. So like no one, we didn't need any money. There was no, there was no requirement for cash. Amazing. Sounds a lot of fun. Mm, yeah. So when you bought your business partner out in around 2004, mm-hmm. what, what, what happened to Big Frog? In the next kind of 12, 18 months. So yeah, we'd so we'd moved on from we'd moved on from um, East London in Bow, and um, we'd taken on some good contracts. Actually, I look back now and I think, how did we not make more money on that? And we'd got it up to turning over. It's turning over about a million quid, which seemed like loads. Just to say that word felt great. Mm. And um, um, but it, it never it never really made any money, and it was didn't really lose any but never made any and I'm, I'm kind of baffled to really still now thinking about it because we were selling you know we had loads of big contracts we became kind of not as big as the company that we'd started at a few years before but we, we weren't far off and we'd got these massive contracts I remember we were selling pages in Marks and Spencer magazine and Boots and they were huge magazines they'd got millions of circulation those things and they were we were selling pages for £20,000 a page in the back of those uh, like mm. tiny little adverts. Again, before the internet, really. So, it's yeah. the, so for a matchbox size, people were paying £2,500 for a matchbox size and small classified in one of these things. And um, But if no one ever wanted to pay us, because we were kids, we had no idea how to get that cash. So anybody who didn't want to pay us could just knock us. Right. And it happened a lot? It happened loads. And... Wow. Because we were doing our own invoicing. I would have even been the person, probably, I must have been the person sending the invoicing as well. What, 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 was, your, what was your kind of like fallback? Like what, what was, okay, this hasn't happened, this hasn't happened, now we need to do... To do. In terms of what? They're trying okay, to get... so you, 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 send an, you, know, you send an email, then you make a phone call, then you, another yeah, phone you, call. You, you ask them and then you change your tone of voice and you ask them a bit louder and then maybe you get frustrated... And then they say, we're not paying you, and you just, there was not much you could do. Did you ever take anyone to court? No, because no, it, we, uh, we just didn't have, I didn't ever know what the right way of that, that process was. And it seemed if somebody was not going to pay us a thousand pounds, or in most cases, it was hundreds of pounds, right? So I just mm. thought, we're never going to get that. We're never going to get that money back. Yeah. And I could either try and take them to court, or we can convince these, the, you know, these sales team that we've got here let's let's get on the phone and let's try and sell some more mm. and that was always the attitude if we needed to pay some bills let's sell some more gotcha. let's sell some more you know so turn, turning over a million quid but didn't feel you were making much was that because you were, everything was going back into the business yeah right. yeah yeah that's always been the case actually and with it, it was with the next business that we set up as well mm. so we then um, we then set up another business which is the business that you're sat in today, yeah. um, Square Up Media. And that was in 2005. And at the time, at the time, we, and that, so that was a catalyst really for me buying out my business partner of the other business mm-hmm. um, because we were setting up this other thing and I met a new business partner and uh, met this guy called Stephen Murphy. Great guy, still one of my best mates. And 
um, he said to me, you've got a sales house, what's your, what's your ambition? And I said, media ownership. Want to, you know, we want to own our own stuff rather than sell for other people. And he said, that's exactly, you know, I'm, I'm the same. He was doing something similar. He said, I want, to, I want to do the same gig, and I've got this idea for a magazine called Square Mile. And at the time, I'd actually wanted to set up a travel magazine, but I didn't know much about the city of Square Mile or luxury stuff coming from Cornwall. You know, you and I, that's a million miles away. Mm. Um, so he said, no, it's like Wall Street and, the, you know, in New York, it's the, the city, but there's no, I said, there must be a magazine called Square Mile. There wasn't. And, you know, we were, we, we got in there. So perhaps it was, you know, it, it say, uh, well, on my part, it was more luck than, than judgment on Stephen's part. Certainly he'd, he'd seen a gap in the market and he said, let's jump in on Square Mile. And he was right. It was, you know, it was, right. it was such a good time to launch a title like that. So people obviously talk about like a eureka moment with businesses, but that it, it sounds like a lot of your skill set and ambition had kind of slowly been maturing with Big Frog. And then mm. the luck was finding someone who, who, who you could like align your ambitions to yeah. with. Yeah. I think that's true in life of you find it, it, it could be an opportunity, it could be a person, it could be a step up from where you are at the moment. And actually our business, Steve, Stephen had one other guy and he was selling space for other people as well. He was, he was a media salesperson, um, but had his own business. And we, it just, it, it felt right. And he was, he had some good ideas and he had ideas that I didn't have. And he was, I was really interested by working with him. And I could just see that for us to be able to team up would be, you know, it would take us on to the next level and me and him would get the best out of each other. So is that what, is that what you think someone should look for in a co-founder? So like different, different strengths, different characters? Yeah, I, I think really you just got to get on with, with that person. And, uh, and if you're excited by working with them, you know, straight away, if there's a bit of a spark, like, hey, we could do this. And you're thinking, you're both of you are looking at each other thinking, yeah, we, we could do this. This is mm. like, we can make this happen. Then great. And it depends where you are in, in different stages of your, your career as well. I mean, if you've, if this is your fifth business, you're probably unlikely to be looking for that because you already know lots of people. You could have lots of good stuff. You could put a good team together. So what you might be looking for is someone with deep pockets to fund something. Mm. So it really depends. But if it's a startup, really, you need someone who you're going to be in the trenches with. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be pulling late nights, you know, you probably don't want someone with grey hair who's going to who's going home to two or three kids and they're you know they're only doing three days a week. That's the chairman. That yeah. you know, it's a different role. So right at the beginning, you, you, you mentioned you know you've got your skill set. Your your vision seemed to be around owning the brands rather than just selling um, space for them. So what what if, if if I asked you back then like what success looked like you know in two thousand five what 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 would you have said what would you know yeah, what would take you over the world to take it was, over it the world was, it's, uh, it was you you look back as a young kid I reckon every lad has the same objective get as big as possible, massive money. Oh, I've never actually been um, materialistic. I'm not money motivated. It's, uh, I, I love getting deals over the line. That's, it's, I'm very excited by that. But having the money is never, and perhaps, perhaps that, you know, that, that can, some people it really benefits them because they, you know, they want all the cash, they want the money and that's, that's their main goal. And, they want to take money out of the business. They put it into, uh, you know, their own bank account. They can do things. For me, 
I just wanted to achieve and money was a byproduct of, of achieving things. So to, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, so owning a lot of brands, mm, to, just, yeah. just, just to be able to, just to be able to do interesting stuff. Yeah. You know? And rec- recognition being, being recognized as significant in the space. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've never been, I've never actually, that, that's never, that's never bothered me. You know, you get people who really want to be known as the voice of the industry or, you know, to, to have credit for what they've done or to be compared to the rival business. Mm. And I never paid any attention to what people, people would say, they're your rivals. And I was like, not interested by it. You're going to waste loads of time thinking about other people's shit yeah. when it's difficult enough to run your own business, you know, rather than thinking, oh God, this person, you know, they're better than us or whatever. If they're better than us, then they're, then maybe have a look at it. But I, I never, I never used to spend ages looking at competitive magazines. I just wanted to do our own stuff and make it as cool as we could possibly do it. And and, and if it worked out, then great. Mm, interesting. So, Early days of Square Media then was, did it all fall into place quite quickly? Well, we had two business running at one time. We had all these contracts with Big Frog at one stage. So um, they were still there. So we had, and we had this ready-made sales team. So what the plan was to run down those contracts to uh, that we signed like a year contract with everybody that we had. So all these people we were selling media for, we'd sign mostly year contracts. So that had to, we were running those down one by one. And effectively, what we were doing, we were taking some of the, so we were taking the sales team and we were moving them onto our own product. Mm-hmm. So that business was just becoming a non and, 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 and winding down. But we had to do it slightly because we, you know, it was, I say it was making money. It wasn't making money. We said earlier, but it was, it, we had obligations to people. So we, yeah. you know, we, uh, so we, but it, the, the with anything, with anything in media, the most important thing is if you've got a sales team, because there's so many, I meet so many good people who've got good ideas for media, but if you've got no one who's going to sell it for you, you're kind of screwed in a way, mm. or in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases. I mean, Instagram might say differently, you know, they start off with a great concept and yeah. turn into a billion pound business. And So is that is that what you focused on straight from the get-go, ensuring that the sales function of yeah. media was right? Yeah, it was... It was predominantly always and kind of the, the, the sales is still the beating heart of the business. Mm. And, and what? So the, cult, the culture of the You've firm. still got one of those guys. You've still got one of the guys from Big Frog Days who work here. Really? I mean, uh, yeah. Amazing. Um, Mike. He's in, absolute, in the sales team? Yeah. He's like, he heads up the whole sales team. Yeah. He's an absolute legend. And um, he, yeah, he, he's worked for me since he was 17. He's now 32. Wow. Yeah. So... Culturally, then, you know, walk, walking through the office to, to, to sit down here, there's there's a there's a great energy, and I've been here before, and it's always the same. What what have you what have you done to create the right culture at Square Up Media? I think you just need to let people enjoy themselves, and you've got to. We thing is, it was there was no distinct play on what's the cult nowadays. When you're starting a business, it's all about the culture, and you you you, you have to. You know, pe- there's dedicated people in, in startups who, who who's that that's their job. Whereas that had never that was never anything that anybody discussed when we were setting up the business. And because 
again, perhaps it was just who we are. We were, we were young kids when we set up the business. I was 19. I used to, I used to lie and say that I was 25 because we were hiring people who were 26, 27. I thought no one's going to work for a 19 year old kid. Now it's quite cool. You know, it's like the, this guy must be a genius. He's a tech entrepreneur or something. But um, then I was thinking, God, these guys will walk out the door if they find out I'm a kid. Um, so everybody was young, really. And it's still the case here now. It's, it's, it's a really young company. The average age, there's um, probably 50 of us here. And the average age must be 25, something like that, 26 maybe. And so that in itself creates a good culture. And you just need to keep those people excited and happy. It was much easier back in the day because you used to have to say, well, we'll just buy, you know, drinks on us, hit all your sales targets, everybody, let's get these magazines out the door. Let's get this event done. Let's do this. And, you know, we're all going out drinking and everybody would say, yeah, great, we're in. Now, if it gets to Friday and I send an email around and say, guys, Cars going behind the bar. We're all going to go to local pub and we're all going to have drinks. Three people will turn up because there's 40 people. They're all in the gym. Wow. Yeah, everything's changed. The, the millennial the millennial doesn't drink anymore like that. You need to, you need to be organising like a, a, a... You need to rope them in with a fitness class. Yeah. We're going for a fitness yeah. class. You know, yeah. going for a, go for a hit session at five o'clock and then we'll go out drinking. Well, our Christmas party for um, lots of our Christmas parties, we've ended up... We, we didn't do it last year because... Um, there ended up being too many of us at that stage where there was about 100, just under 100 in the company. Um, and um, we, we'd go skiing and we'd take everybody skiing for a few days. And that was good because they, that, that way you could do drinking and skiing. So right. it's an app race ski kind of, you know, yeah. some people could. So you're basically trying to find a way to get some booze in them somehow. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So on, on that topic, actually, because I, I, I don't... You know, I, I'm I'm familiar with some aspects of, of, of your industry, and and I and I realise that it's quite, it can be quite drink heavy at, at times. Can, mm. can, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, media's media's a massive culture for that. Right. Check again, like I say, changing, but um, we sometimes do activities, and we get you know we we take people out like rowing down the Thames, canoeing, whitewater rafting, mountain biking around the Olympic Park. All those things are, are massively popular. But so much of media business gets done with the clients over a lunch. Right. Mm. So, so you, you've, you've, how, how have you handled that? Because, you know, you're, you're a fit and healthy guy, right? I used to be. It's like my, my creaking bones. Oh, oh, I would say differently. Yeah, I used to massively into my running or I was into two knee operations. But right. yeah, I've always been into my fitness. But it's, yeah, I drink way less now than I used to, but it was amazing. Media is an amazing industry because everything which is fun or interesting, which is happening, and we happen to be in one of the coolest cities in the world, then we, you know, you, you get invited. You're a part of it. That's that's what you know. Lifestyle media is, and we have brands which put us right in, you know, right Mixed. smack around in, in, amongst all of that. So anything, anything that you wanted to go to. Any sporting match, any party, any nightclub, anything, it was almost like we had golden ticket just to be able to walk around. And it's still the case for, Incredible. you know, for lots of guys. And, you know, any, like you get tickets to the World Cup, to everything. It's, it is, it's an unbelievable life, both for the salespeople 
and also for the editorial guys who just have you know the fantastic perks everybody mm. especially with square mile it represents the the most concentrated wealth anywhere in the country and there's not many brands or companies or organizations that don't want to reach or connect with them in some way regardless what you feel about those people uh you know at, out we're producing lifestyle media brand yeah for them then it's it's an unbelievable audience um with being almost like the mouthpiece for well not you know we, we, we we're not a, you know not a business title we're not the ft but um representing them in some way yeah. grants you a, a, a fantastic um, access. yeah fantastic mm. access to across london and 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 wherever else and that that made for a really fun start as a business i bet i bet mm. so looking back on where are we now 13 well including big frog you know a few more years but what yeah. what what are you what are you most proud of being honest there's been so many so many times where uh, other than telling a fib about in the early years about how old i was that we've been uh, you know to always being honest with everybody with the staff we we have a open PL when we've lost money when we've made money you know we've never hid that from anybody uh, i think that's probably more common now um with with businesses but back in the day it wasn't people used to keep that behind closed doors being honest with clients um being honest just ne- you know there's there's nothing i feel like we've always done what we've said we do or we've we've our best intentions and I think that Mm. uh, so there's a lot of things which keep business owners and just people in general up at night you know worrying about stuff trying to cover your tracks and and tell fibs it's like that's one thing that is you know I've never had to worry about Mm. and what about almost the reverse of that what's what's been What's been the biggest mistake when you look back? What sticks out in your oh, mind? Too many, to, too many to mention. Too many to mention. So many mistakes. Mm. And uh, I think it's just how you handle those. Right? Sure. You know, and you beat yourself up more and more when you were in the early days about them. How could I get that wrong? Because everything's got to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Nothing that you do in life. Nothing. So it's, you, you're gonna, it's knowing that you're going to make mistakes. So what, what, what do you do then? Yeah. When, when you... When you make a mistake, what's what's how do you respond? Is there something in your in your DNA that allows you to respond in a way? Well, it's usually quite right? costly, you know. In so it's how, how much does that cost the business? Right. Um, and um, you just got to look at that and think: How are you not going to do that again? Or how did that happen? And if it's some, if it's if it's a staff member who's made that, then you know you want to make sure they understand so they're not going to make it again. You. You want you want to try and learn from it. Sometimes you know you shouldn't have made those mistakes in the first place. So you know you've got to, you've got to work out how how did that happen. Gotcha. Um, so I, I'm I'm aware that there's been some kind of at a corporate level. Um, there's been some interesting. You you acquired um, Factory Media Limited. Yeah. Last year, mm-hmm. and I understand that's that's an interesting position now. Do you want to, do you want to run us through kind of how it happened and, and almost why it happened? Why, why did you? Yeah. So we'd grow, so square up over the, uh, how many years that was, we launched in, in 2005, we grew to four titles and, um, all of those titles were doing well. We launched another city, one for the city, hedge fund guys, um, hedge magazine, um, great, beautiful title. And then we launched 
a magazine called Escapism. Escapism is the biggest travel magazine in the UK and um, great title. That was fun. That was a different, that was a different model for us rather than being distributed direct to the desks of city guys. This was going after sort of the, the London commuter and big numbers. So it was 105,000 circulation. It was distributed around all the zones one and zones two tubes. Big success. There'd never been a travel magazine like that dis- distributed in, in that way. Um, still isn't so we own that space in London and then um, the next step was foodism and um, foodism is an absolute monster and it's you know that that is it is a huge huge success that I think now how, how was there no food and drink title for uh, a city which is, is over the last 10 12 years has had a, uh, the biggest food revolution anywhere on the planet and is leading the world in, in, in food and drink in all aspects in 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 restaurants bars and staff in in, in the thinking behind that um, is that the jewel in your crown um square mile has got a bit has got a, a, a lovely spot even though i'm you know less connected to the world of luxury myself um and city bankers brokers and traders that was our first thing and that kicked us off so i always feel strongly for to, to square mile and it allows us to do really good things with charity square mile actually because of who it goes to you know we can raise so much money we raised um last year i think don't quote me on this but one of the last few years we raised 1.3 million pounds in november in fact in 20 there you go in 2012 we've got something right here in 2012 we raised um, £297.64 this plaque in my hand here. and then every year since that it's grown and it got up to £1.3 in uh, wow. the last year and that's because it's, we've got this really rich captive audience of men who like to grow moustaches for November so it was that's, yeah. that's cool because so, I did read on your on your Twitter account that you, you're very passionate about using the media brands to have that impact mm. um, so do you do you Choose different charities every year. Do you, we go back? Yeah, to, yeah. We, we do. We use different charities all the time. So just when you arrived today, we were talking about um, something that we we own through. It's a really cool project. This one we so we own the domain name for National Pizza Day, and we so that's. I mean, it's a thing which is kind of out there. No one really owns that, but we own we own all of the um, social handles and the website, and it gets loads of traffic that day. National Pizza Day, and we, we only set it up last year, and it was a huge success with people downloading vouchers for discounted pizza in like thousands of them all around the country. And um, we are, there was a conversation about who, who which charity partner we're going to link in this morning with. So we're going to uh, hopefully Action for Hunger is um, Action Against Hunger, Action for Hunger. That would be. <laughs> Be a bit of a strange gig, wouldn't it? Pushing Trying to get people way. to be more hungry. Uh, that's cool. Action Against Hunger is going to be our charity partner. We hope for that. So that's whilst we're having this conversation now, somebody should be talking to them and try and get them on board. And hopefully we can raise some good money through through National Pizza Day and things for for those guys. So yeah, we use the media brands, use the media brands for us to, to do good as much as we can. And um, Foodism's a good do you one think, for that. Do you think you, you've been a real... I mean, I, sh- I can only assume you have. Do you, you've been a real driving force in that because some, some mm. business owners don't talk about doing mm. good. They just yeah. don't care. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's more important. I think it's, the, it's something that I'm massively passionate about. Foodism... Is something about your upbringing? Where, where, does that, where does that come from? Yeah, I, 
I don't know. It's my 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 old man has always you know he was he was very he was very good with um, with helping others and um, again I think that's probably in everybody really, but it's a working class background. Perhaps it's it. You know, it's something to do with that. I don't know, really. I've never, I've never thought about it, but it seems pretty important. You know, it's, it's. I get more of a kick out of doing something like that than it. It feels for okay for me. Put it this way: it's easier for me to. Uh, I feel uncomfortable boasting about a material object or money or something like that. But I would feel proud to talk about something awesome that we've done. Mm. You, you know that that's uh, that's that's the kind of. Not a show-offy thing because it wouldn't. You wouldn't talk like that. But that, yeah, I'm more likely to talk about that because you know it's it's. If somebody says, "What have you done recently?" rather than saying, "Oh, look, we've made some money here, or we've done this, or we bought this business, or we sold that business," I, I'd feel, you know, I'd be I'd be more excited to talk about that. I don't know. It just gets me. It's, I'm, I'm I'm more into it. So I know one of the things I know you set up um, is Clapham Pioneers. Yeah, and that's yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering. We've got a few questions. You, I, I took us right off the track on um, on Where Factory were we? Media. We, we were, were fact- talking about Factory Media. Yeah. So sorry, I think actually that's a good point. And let's then, come back and to. And then we were talking about charities and we were talking about all sorts of <laughs> so stuff. That, so that's that's yeah. a very good point. So let me ask a much more direct question then. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was it strategically that you saw in Factory Media Limited and and and, and the reason yeah. you bought them? If you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. how much? And I understand if you can't answer, mm-hmm. how much were they acquired for, and, and what's going on now? Mm, okay, so you couldn't have caught me at a better time for this chat on on factory because um, the the story of yeah, there's so many emotions wrapped up in factory media. Um, you, you'll notice that earlier I said there was a hundred people in the business. There's now fifty. That's because um, as of today, factory media is no longer part of our our group. That's happened in the last few days, really. Right. Wow. Um, and. So first of all, what is Factory Media? Factory Media is Europe's leading action sports media house. And um, that essentially, it's a collection of 16 different magazines and websites. Some of them launched up to 25 years ago. Everything from the leading titles for snowboarding, mountain biking, surfing, BMXing, skateboarding, road cycling, like cool stuff, like really cool stuff. And that's what attracted me to the business. Now, I, at the time, I owned sixty percent of, um, of of Square Up Media, and the the other person who I'm still great friends with, a chap called Neil Hutchinson, hugely successful, made hundreds of millions of pounds um, in in sort of um, as I guess a um, tech entrepreneur, you would say, and um, me and him are roughly the same age, a few years older, and. He had acquired this business six, seven years ago. And I'd always said to him, how did you acquire that business, another media business, and not have a conversation with me first? Because we should have we should have both made that decision. And he'd looked at it, much like I've always looked at it, and gone, that's full of loads. Of, that, that is, they're, they're the coolest brands. So much good stuff there. And as a Cornishman, I mean, we all had mountain bikes and we were in and out of the sea. On our coast, actually, there was not much surf, as you'd know. But... Um, just that whole ethos of that business. I was in media and every, and, and there's a load of action sports titles. I would like them as part of our group. And I'd said to Neil, I watched the journey of Factory Media over six years and Neil lost an absolute fortune on it. He, he was losing 
well, it was it was losing six million pounds a year for like, every year for five years. It was unbelievable, actually. And if it wasn't backed by somebody with such deep pockets, then it would have never been allowed to continue, really, or at least not in that form. So the romantic in me thought I can I can turn that around. I can sort that out. That you know must you know six million, no problem. It was only turning over four million, turning over four, losing six. Wow. So yeah, it, it was it was. It's a real swing. And um, so we, we took on the business and we made some changes. We, we stripped out their management team at the start. And the short version of this story is that after 12 months, we had got that business down to, and I'm not saying this as if it's a success or, or, or um, otherwise, um, I'm still not sure whether whether it is or not we got this business down to losing i think the accounts would would say it lost 216 grand for the for for that year so still a lot of money to lose 216,000 but we were looking at that to go from you know 5 6 million pounds really loss down to 200k we we kind of felt that we were the the, the swing was going to come out the other side uh, so 6 months into the second year which brings us to about where we are now, then we we bring in some new investors into the business. And um, these guys, these guys, so um, in fact, how much did I pay? That was one of the questions. How much did we pay for the business? We paid a pound for the business, but we kept, we, we sold, um, there was like an equity swap because we already knew Neil and because that, that relationship already existed we paid a pound for the business, not that anybody would have paid any more for it anyway. Uh, and we gave up equity within Square Up Media. Neil took more equity of the business. So it's kind of, it, it, that that was how it was done as an equity swap. So uh, I went down to about, uh, I dropped about 20% of equity to take it on. Neil put in final amount to the business and that was him saying, you know, I've lost my shirt on this thing. So... I think Neil put in probably about another 1.7 million, maybe something like that, of which we that was us to try and get the business to turn around off that. Now, it had huge debts, obviously, so we had to try and use that money to clear out. And within the first month, nearly all of that money was gone. So we had to try and get it making money and saving cash as soon as possible. And... Uh, no, that, that was a lot of hard work. So there's not been really any holidays since, since you know, mm. even six months before that deal as we were prepping for it. Um, so it's been a couple of years. I could do with getting on the beach pretty soon. And um, and then, in so so then it comes to, we were talking about the investors. So then, so during that, that process, Neil's, Neil made it clear from the start that he, he, he didn't want to put much more money into into the business he'd already lost 30 million quid basically on it it's a lot of money huge amount of money to lose on it um so we were by that stage you know we we were i was right in on it on factory media we could see light at the end of the tunnel and um there was a load of hard work going into the into the business so it was a case of let's raise some more money let's raise some cash because it was looking like it was going to be somewhere near self-sufficient six months down the line. For the business as a, as a whole? For the whole group, whole because group. my focus had been on factory media, but largely the money was for factory media because that was what needed 
that that was what needed the most urgent requirement of cash. And also we wanted to grow in other areas of, of the Square Up group. So we needed cash and resource to do that. And uh, so we found we found a new investor. And um, funny enough, this is, this is a Cornish connection to this as well. Although, um, you know, they don't appear too much of a Cornish firm nowadays. But um, the, this, this, yeah, this investment company is called FCFM. And um, they are owned by two guys, Jason Granite, whose family reside in Cornwall, and um, and Michael Spencer, who owns, he's one of the biggest players in the city. He's just presently selling, sold ICAP for 3.8 billion. So all of that money is running through FCFM, in theory, so, you know, that's, that's, that's where the, the group is going to look after that cash. And then they're making, they make um, acquisitions. So it's not really a fund because it's all private money. Um, but they, so they, they came in board and they bought, um, they bought out the other shareholders effectively. So um, they've taken between a 40 to 60% stake. So it's now me and just, just those guys. Uh, and, um, so they're, they're our partners. And the first thing that they did when they came on board was they took a look at the business of Factory Media and they, you know, they they looked at it and saw the track record of 30 million quid loss mm. and said, we're not into this. Skateboarding, BMX in, that's not for us. There's other areas of the business where we can see massive growth, food and drink. And so dream's over effectively. And because of the size of, you know, these guys, then it was... Um, you know that they, they weren't fussed on holding out for an exit, a big exit for factory. So it was an asset sale, really. Um, so um, factory's assets continue to be all their brands move on, but they wanted a really, really quick fire sale of the assets so that we weren't going to be drawn into a year's year long management team looking for a sale of the business, and. So it's been an emotional roller coaster on that front for us. It's been because um, you get close to these guys. And that's that's you know fifty people effectively out of work um, at the drop of a hat because of new investment firm coming in and not sharing the vision for that side. And it's to be seen whether that will be the right decision. Um, you can't argue that the money is in the other side of the business. Um, but when you spend eighteen months, is that that has been the most intensive work period of my life spend you know 18 months no holidays no days off working hard you've become great mates of all the people there they're really you know they're, they're such good people they're passionate you know they they those guys didn't get into that, that job in action sports because they wanted a job in media they got into that job because they're all surfers skateboarders mm. ex-pro athletes you know they love it they absolutely love it was there a moment when you had to break it to them um it, it came over the course of about a month and it came through the investment company as well. And because, again, we were honest and open with with all of the management team, then they would be hearing that news as we were hearing that news as well. Um, but the final the final sort of um, deliverance of, of that chat that, you know, that they're, they're, they're not going to put a, a, a normal sale process together and it's going to be an asset sale, which effectively means there's a round of redundancies for everybody there. Um, that came that came kind of pretty abruptly really mm. for, for the guys so you know it was a really tough day in the office because everybody's like friends with these guys 
and you know new and new investment firms come in and it's almost as far as people have seen it kind of like the face of the, the, the suits in the background have made some decisions and um you know that this it's it's tough you see i've never i've never I've, you, you make we've made redundancies before but on small scales you know you when you any business you've got to hire and let people go and that happens but to see you know such a big number of people go in one hit it's it, you know it's it's mm. you, you can't you, you can't really no i don't think anybody can watch that and see this I mean, every emotion is there every emotion is there it's a really tough gig people love that job so so this this seems like a really interesting moment to ask a couple of questions then um i'll ask them both at the same time and you can you can wrap it into one answer what does the future hold for square up media and what's your personal game plan well the short-term plan is a holiday first of all um i attempted to get away to greece about three weeks ago got halfway through the holiday and then um due to um part of the stuff which was going on factory i got three days in left my girlfriend out in greece and had to head back long-term plan yeah, long-term so, plan yeah, we, so um I'm 37 you, you you know you want to be in a position i mean we could exit the business now do i think that we would have you know we'd realize the worth of you know where we're at i've also now got some heavyweight investors in the business um so you know, my exit is also linked very much to their exit and what they, you know, they want. Luckily that they are, they, there's there's no requirements on me by them. So, you know, their words are, they'll hold this for, you know, this is a forever. Imagine a scenario where you can create a blueprint of the perfect way to run Square Up Media and you get to go back to 2005 and hand that to your younger self. And I'm going to ask you a few questions about what will be in that blueprint. Mm. So... What is the most important characteristic that a founder needs? Honesty. What's the most important daily habit? Push yourself. What's the biggest mistake to avoid when growing a business? Being scared to try stuff. One piece of advice when it comes to finances, cash flow, and working around a small budget. Get, yeah, get some help. Get, make sure you, someone knows what's going on. Um, and um, yeah, if you can raise money early on, then 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 it's not always right. It's not always right, but I would have look looking back, I would have probably raised like more cash. I didn't know how to do that. You, I was concentrated on said organic growth because mm. I didn't know any. But now now I know you can meet people who've got you can fast forward like five years of your life pretty quickly. Mm. Um, this is an interesting one. One piece of advice when it comes to sales. Again, be honest. People can see through you if you do. There's no, there's no magic sales lines. People see through that bullshit nowadays. Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're honest with somebody, people buy into you. One piece of advice when it comes to hiring the right people? You've got to get on with them, especially if it's a small team, early doors. You've got to get on with those people. And this might be the same answer, but one piece of advice when it comes to building the right company culture? Be present, be involved. If people can see the founder having a good time, the, uh, the times where... That I, in my business career where it's taken a dip has been when I've kind of mentally checked out for a few months and I, you know I, I, maybe I've been bored maybe I've just not been working as hard and that happens with everybody uh, mm. then uh, and it just shows if I'm running in through the door going oh my god this is exciting I am buzzing for this like we're up for it 
everybody is going, okay, I'm on that train. Amazing. Right, final one then. As you're handing over the blueprint to your younger self in 2005, mm. what do you say to him? It'll be okay. And you know what? Things are looking okay for Tim and for Square Up Media. So what are the key takeaways from this episode? Most obviously, it's pretty damn clear that Tim's success is connected to his drive and his determination to, in his own words, take over the world. But when you look at what Tim has achieved, something else becomes obvious. As an entrepreneur, you do not need to be driven primarily by money. Tim wants to build. He wants to build brands, build teams, build reputation, and build value. He also clearly values human connections, being present with his team, and getting along with the people he works with. But more than anything else, Tim cares about honesty, which I think is a pretty cool point to end on. My name is Jared Williams, and this has been The Startup Blueprint, the podcast designed for entrepreneurs, startups, and anyone who's ever wanted to turn a good idea into a great business.